I'd do today. Um, I try to follow the church calendar to some degree, and um, of course, on the you know the major church holidays, Christian holidays, and um, but I thought I, I would want to give some kind of Mother's Day sermon, so I'm going to preach two sermons today. And what I thought I would do is I'd keep us here till five or six. Then you miss the lunch rush and you have nothing to worry about. Um, so here's the Mother's Day sermon, okay? And I mean this very sincerely. This is not cheeky at all. Alright? Moms, all your sins are forgiven. Do not walk in guilt and shame. For Christ is risen from the dead. And He is with you. Amen. Okay? Now, Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 3. How does, um, how does being justified by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, which is what Romans has been about up to this point, apart from any merit or works of our own, how does that shape our attitudes, or how is it meant to shape our attitudes our, uh, and our vocations and our stations in life as we are being renewed in our minds and being transformed for worship in everyday life. From here, that's really what Romans is about. Paul begins to answer this question in um, general terms, really, from 12.3, where we are this morning, all the way to 13, verse 14. Then he turns to give more specific encouragements for the Roman Christians and their relationships with one another in 14.1 to 15.13, with Paul himself as an apostle in 15.14 to 33, and then to the church as a whole in the final chapter, chapter 16, verses 1 through 20. This morning, we'll make our way from verses 3 to 13, since it seems like there's a shift of sorts in verse 14 from relationships within the body of Christ to those in the surrounding society in general from 14 to 21, to authorities and mandates and things like this in 13, 1 to 7, and then to neighbors in verses 8 through 10 as the section concludes in 11 through 14. And so within this framework, um, verses 3 to 13 provide encouragement for us to worship in everyday life through devoted service within the body of Christ. As our minds are being renewed for the transformation of everyday life, we're called to worship by serving according to our faith within the body of Christ. Let me pray and we'll begin. Our Father, we are thankful for this time You've given to us. Lord, would You, by the power of Your Holy Spirit, through Your Word concerning Christ, open our hearts to receive Your Word now. I pray that everyone in this room would be able to hear and to believe Your Word. Please help me to preach it to that end and no other. I ask and pray this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let me read verses 3-8 through here of Romans 12. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, 
the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So, beginning by referencing his own role as an apostle within the body of Christ, Paul encourages the Roman Christians to also have a proper awareness and attitude about their place, their role within the body of Christ, their station in life and their calling. And notice here the foundation for Paul's appeal to us is the grace of God in verse 3. Paul presupposes that we're already one body in Christ in verse 5 because the fact that we're here, that we're professing Christ, is all by God's grace. Grace is the source of our roles in everyday life, but here specifically as living sacrifices within the body of Christ. And so we act out of the grace we have been given, which means... Christian service is serving as a beneficiary, never as a benefactor. Grace is the means of a proper attitude within the body of Christ. None of us is indispensable. None of us has uh, any reason to claim that without us, the body would be deficient. None of us should be here. None of us should be in the body of Christ. None of us has earned our spot. We approach our role in the church as sinners who did nothing to obtain our salvation and therefore don't demand recognition, but instead are eager for opportunities to give and to serve others. What is the first and biggest threat then to the body of Christ working together to glorify God by serving one another? It's not a lack of programs. It's not a lack of technology. It's not a lack of earthly winsomeness. It is forgetting Grace. When people think too highly of themselves, they will demand that the body of Christ serve them. You exist for me, right? You exist to serve my needs, my desires, what I expect, what I demand, what I want. The rest of you are here to make sure I am pleased. And you hear this come out. Nobody's going to say that, right? We're all very good at being hypocrites. Nobody's going to say that. But you hear it come out in people's complaining and murmuring and griping because things are not the precise way they want them to be. How dare you not do what I want? How dare you not give me what I expect? You all owe me, right? That's a prevailing attitude people can have within the church and it poisons everything about them. Every word that comes out of their mouth. That's not just a personality quirk. It's a complete misunderstanding of grace. A demanding person, particularly in the church, has not yet reckoned with the fact that none of us deserves to be here. We are here by grace. We are called children of God by grace. Not because we're better than others or have earned it or somehow stepped up to the plate while others have failed. We are recipients of Full, benevolent grace. Therefore, nobody has any clout with which they can make demands. Our roles within the body of Christ as individual members of it in verses 4 and 5 are each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned in verse 3. God assigns a measure of faith to each of us specifically for how He wants each of us to serve one another. Therefore, we ought to think with sober judgment. He says, rather than 
with judgment that is tainted by our own demands and preferences. Every one of us could use the reminder every day. Remember where you came from. Grace. You and I were in a pit. We were bound in chains. We could not free ourselves. And God reached down in His Son and by the power of His Spirit pulled us out. Nobody like that has any demands to make. The faith we each have a measure of to serve the body of Christ is a gift. So, who in the world, this is where Paul starts here, who in the world could think highly of themselves in the body of Christ? If they do, something is off. Something is missing. We need to trust the Word of God rather than listen to the shouting from our own minds. We need to recognize what is happening when we're willing to threaten the unity of this one body. To completely forget that we are actually members of one another. So if you hurt me, it hurts you. Right? It, it, nobody wins when a demanding person gets their way. Nobody wins in a church when you keep the people happy that if they aren't happy, they're going to be mad at everybody and make everybody pay. The church is damaged by that. It's not helped by that. We are members one of another. It's like a marriage. You can't hurt your spouse without hurting yourself. Remember where we came from. Recognize, beloved, we need to be able to recognize what's happening when we're willing to threaten unity. To get what we want. To advance our agenda. It's pure pride. We think too highly of ourselves, which again is the result of forgetting grace. You've literally forgotten who you are. This not only keeps our minds from being transformed as verses 1 and 2 told us would now happen, and instead keeps them conformed to the world. That's how the world acts and lives from government on down. It undermines the body of Christ in which grace is the prevailing theme, of which grace has made us a part. God gives us our faith for the service of others. The human body has many different parts, and they don't all have the same function. In the same way, though, we as the church have many parts, we don't all have the same function. But this doesn't, that doesn't undermine oneness. Notice that that's not the threat to unity and oneness, that we're not all the same and we don't all have the same gift. That's not necessary for unity. It's us that threatens oneness. It's our pride. It's our refusal to remember grace. When parts go rogue, the body suffers. Naturally, if one part starts deciding it's going to do whatever it wants to do or an infection or something invades it, 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 the whole body is going to pay the price. It's true in our natural bodies. It's just as true and just as life threatening in the one body of Christ. Remember, the sign that a church is alive is not that it stays open and that the lights are on and that the bills are paid. That's not the sign of life. Organizations that literally hate Jesus like Planned Parenthood, have plenty of money, plenty of funds, the lights are always on, and they're popping up everywhere because Satan loves to kill babies. Right? That, that's not a sign that all is well. I mean, you, you could have none of this, and we could still be one in the body of Christ. Paul tells us that we've each been given a measure of faith in verse 3, in the form of giftedness in verse 6. We've each been gifted to worship God by, remember, because that's what 
justification is after in 12, 1 and 2, that we become living sacrifices, worshipers. We've each been given a gift to worship God by serving each other within the body of Christ. Now, notice how Paul says we're meant to use these gifts, which is the same thing as saying why we've been given them in the first place in the second part of verse 6 here and down to verse 8. Prophecy here is the word for preaching, proclamation. So those gifted to preach, they preach in proportion to our faith, Paul says. I think he means the faith once and for all delivered to the saints that's spoken of in Jude 3, for example. Those who serve think uh, primarily of deacons, but that's not only deacons that serve, right? Express their faith in God through service. Those who teach express their faith in God through teaching. It's all God-centered for the sake of others. Those who exhort, that is, encourage and build up, they express their faith in God through exhortation. Those who give, they give with generosity. They have the means to give abundantly because God has given them the faith to do so. Right? Not everybody is the same kind of giver, and that's all right. right? There's some that have been given faith, gifted specifically to be givers. And so that's one of the reasons that God makes certain people wealthy, so that they will give those who lead, mainly the elders here, lead in a church, express their faith by leading with zeal, or as Peter would say, not out of compulsion, but willingly in 1 Peter 5, 2. And then those who have been given faith to do acts of mercy for others. There's some people that are just pulled towards that. Let's help the homeless. Let's help the, uh, the needy. All, all those types of things. It's not that only they care about that. It's that some folks have been gifted for that. That's what they do. And let them do that with cheerfulness. Right? The attitude of one's service matters. Cheerfulness is an expression of the measure of the faith they have been assigned. And so, beloved, notice that our means of service is grace and our reason for service is the benefit of others. It has nothing to do with us. You and I are not gifted for self-affirmation or to use it against others and make demands with it. But what often happens is that having forgotten we are members of the body of Christ by grace, through faith alone, that means to transform us by renewing our minds in verses 1 and 2, so that we stop thinking so highly of ourselves, here in verse 3, in spite of that, often we start thinking of our gifts as being given to us for us. And it becomes my gift. You have to let me do this thing I want to do because it's my gift. That doesn't sound like grace. This is how I have to serve or I can't serve. You're shutting me down. Gifts are expressions of our faith for the sake of others. They're not given to us to scratch some itch that we have. We don't make demands with our gifts. Do we realize how opposite of the gospel that is? Let me do this. I have to do this. What we do is find out where and how we can use our gifts for the benefit of others. And if your whole life is wrapped up in this building, if you can't do what you want to do here, you're going to be very mad. 
But remember, you've been called to be a living sacrifice. Your whole life is an opportunity to serve. Something else here that we need to hear. We need to stick to the text when we're trying to find our gifts. We've basically made everything a gift. Right? Everything. Even people that have like a theistic worldview. So God is in there somewhere and then athletes are very good at this. Right? And I know that some of them are sincere and believers and I don't doubt or question that for a second. But there is a little bit of a disconnect between pumping your chest, doing a dance, and then pointing up at the sky. I, there's a, you know, some all glory to God. I don't think so. You just gave at least 75% of glory to yourself and you saved a quarter of it for the Lord. You know, things like this. What does the text tell us? Right? Because you can just be born with athletic ability biologically. Right? I mean, Christians can do amazing athletic things. So can non-Christians. You see? That's not like... We need to be careful. We need to stay in the text. Preaching, serving, teaching, exhorting, giving, leadership, acts of mercy. These are the things the church has been given for the sake of each other. I think... We get into trouble if we go too far beyond that and start making the things we like to do naturally into our gifts. I think that's very dangerous. Don't mistake talents of your biology for gifts from God, beloved. They are not the same. If if your gift doesn't look anything like what's here, it's probably just a talent. That you have, and you'd have if you weren't a Christian. Your gift is not something you naturally possess. Your gift is a gift of God's grace to you for the body. And you don't have to work. God knows what He's doing. It's not like if you don't get to do your gift, the body's going to suffer. No. No. Remember, we defer to one another here, we don't demand here. We think of others more highly than we think of ourselves. Our gift will be out of proportion to our biology, but in proportion to our faith. That's precisely why we have the admonishment in verse 3, not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think, but with sober judgment. Those are the two options. You can think highly of yourself, or you can think correctly. What do we have that we did not receive? Our roles within the body of Christ don't say anything about us. They're about how God would have us worship Him by serving each other. So whatever on this list you've been gifted to do within the body of Christ, and you may be gifted in several areas or excel in one at one time and another at another time. Whatever you've been gifted to do, that's not how the church knows you're here. Right? It's, it's, that's not what gifts are for. Gifts are for our faith. Gifts help build up and serve one another. They don't give us this private little role that we have to be able to do in order to feel like we're a part of the body of Christ. God's grace is what makes you a part of the body of Christ. That's done, whether you're doing anything or not. So why would you be upset? Why would you be angry? Why would you feel deficient? Grace makes us a part of the body. Grace makes us matter. Grace makes us a member of the church, not our gifts. So 
let us use our gifts as a means to serve ourselves, or let us not use our gifts as a means to serve ourselves and our desires, but to worship God by serving others. For some, that will be in preaching. For others, by the myriad of ways that we can serve. Cleaning, mowing the lawn, visiting people, helping with children, etc., etc. For others, by exhortation, just gifted to encourage others and build them up. For others, they serve mainly by giving. For some, it will be by shepherding the flock and leadership. And still for others, it will be through acts of mercy, kindness to others. No one can just say, look, my gift is graphic design. There's Nobody said this to me. It's not an example. Like, My gift is graphic design, so you have to let me do graphic design or you're keeping me from serving the body of Christ. I bet that you would be good at graphic design if you weren't a Christian. Right? There are non-Christians who are really good at graphic design. What a church is supposed to be dependent on the power of God. If what we seek to do can be accomplished by human means, we're not aiming high enough. We need grace here to do what God has called us to do. It's not just like self-expression hour. That's not what this is. And you may absolutely be talented in graphic design. I'm, I'm certainly not. But we, we don't create our own niches. We, we serve according to the grace that was given to us, which means we have no demands to make, no expectations to be fulfilled. You, again, we, we can't just say, I have this thing and you have to let me do it. You hear this a lot with music. right? I have some fantastic stories, horror stories about growing up as a pastor's kid. The amount of people that think they can sing that can't is amazing. I don't know what it is about singing, but almost everybody thinks they can sing. And whoever thinks they can sing believes that the pastor is obligated to let them do a special. And so they'll come to you with, the Lord laid this on my heart. I really, that's weird that he didn't lay it on mine. Right? But I'm just supposed to trust that he laid it. What It's like when, when you have young kids and this usually comes from the guy like college age Christians and you like a girl that's way out of your league. <laughs> so you pull the, uh, you pull the, uh, God told me that I, you're going to be my wife. She's like, that's weird because he didn't tell me that, right? So it's, it's not, things don't normally work that way. But singing is one thing a lot of people think they can do that they can't. We were eating at El Patron the other night. Um, it happened to be karaoke night. We open the door to go in, and I see what's happening, and I turn around and leave. My wife says, oh, no, we're staying right here. So we stay. It's karaoke night. And, uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of people think they can sing. Watch American Idol, right? When you re- Like, people go in to do this, and they're horrendous. Like, it's embarrassingly bad. Why do they think they can sing? Usually because they got their mom back there says, my princess angel is the best singer I've ever heard. And she's been told that all her life. And then she gets put in front of people and she's tone deaf and it's embarrassing. Right? It's just, it's, I don't know what it is, but music is objective, right? There, there are notes on a page. If you can't hit those, you can't sing. So we need to stay in the lanes of the text here, beloved. Rather than making demands with our gifts, we find a way to serve others with it for their benefit not for our own. That's not what is happening with a gift. There may be times we serve, times we give, times we exhort, times we do acts of mercy, 
We aren't tied down to one thing. The Holy Spirit is not that unwise or unkind or selfish. This is all you have. A lot of times we want to justify our wants, so we try to spiritualize them to the damage of the entire body as a whole. You can't just think of yourself. You can't just think of a few. You have to think of everybody. We're members of one another. We're one body. What's in the biblical text, I think, are the best ways we know God has given for sure to serve in His church. Everything else is optional. It's icing. Churches will survive if they don't have everything we think is necessary. But we do have these things. We'll be okay with these things if that's all we have. Notice where Paul goes next here. Notice how he goes right from service directly to the heart. There's a reason for that. Look in verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Now, notice, first of all, how well that goes along with verses 6 through 8. The tone, the attitude of gifting. Because we don't think highly of ourselves, but think instead with sober judgment, we may actually live like this. If we're willing not to think so highly of ourselves, verses 9 through 13 become much more realistic. This reads like a new set of commandments now for the church, doesn't it? It's just command after command. This is what marks out those who have been made new and are being transformed by the renewing of their minds away from the self and onto Christ. Let love be genuine. So, I hope we hear immediately what the law does when we hear it, when we hear commands from God, His word of law. That's commanding a feeling. Let love be genuine. Who's up to that task? Who can do that? All the time. Don't think about how you love your spouse or your kids. Think about how you love the people in here. Let love be genuine. That's the first command here. That's unbelievable. You are just commanded to feel something. The the highest of things. Genuine love. None of the fake hypocritical stuff that the world does so well smiling in your face, burying you behind your back. That kind of love is not going to help our brothers and sisters. That's basically, along with all of these, really a call to not be a Pharisee. Let love be genuine. In other words, don't just try to appear to be a loving person. Right? Just A lot of times we want to appear to be something and not actually be that thing. We want to look like we're loving. We're not loving at all. We want to look humble. We're not humble at all. That's not worship. That's worship of self, but it's not worship of God. How do I genuinely feel something for someone that I do not feel? Now you're hearing it as what it is. That's what we should do when we hear that. 
is say, seriously? I can't just kind of mail it in? Like, I can't just punt here on love? No, it's, it's, it's got to be genuine. It's got to be genuine, down to the bone. You and I cannot do the law. Right? So we'll need what in order to let love be genuine? We'll need grace. Grace is always there. It's always there. Genuine love is a fruit of grace. It's not a fruit of willpower. You can take credit for that. It's grace. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Another commandment. Another impossibility. If you let the Bible define evil and not your cultural sensitivities, right? There are things, I mean, there's situational evil. I think that's evil, not that. And somebody else says, well, I think that's evil, not that, right? We have this, this prevails in the world today, right? We're not naturally inclined to abhor evil, but to love it and treasure it and admire it and practice it. And God, here's the thing. God doesn't just tell us to let go of evil and to abhor it. He also tells us to take hold of something else, what is good. And again, let God define the terms. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Beloved, it is not a good thing when Christians are known mainly for what they don't do rather than what they will do or do. It's a very, very bad thing. When we talk, like, like, so I talk about grace a lot, and a lot of times um, you'll hear it in different places, you know, and, and that's okay. It's, it's, it's part of the deal. But always either the frustration or the, the misunderstanding of what about good works? What about good works? Shouldn't we be doing good works? Yes. But normally when we're saying that, we're thinking of good works as often about the things you're not supposed to be doing. Nobody, when they're saying, shouldn't we be doing good works, is thinking, shouldn't we be like out loving our neighbors and showing genuine love to each other? And nobody's talking about that. Everybody's talking about, tell me something I can do that will either make me feel assurance or make it look like I'm a more serious Christian. Or at least let me be able to feel that way. Give me something I can do that doesn't require too much of my time, doesn't require a lot of my money, doesn't require me to deny myself in any way. Just give me a thing. I can check off a list. You need to push that more. You need to get people to do more things. No, I don't. I'm sorry. No, I don't. This is for proclamation. Right? Why, when we talk about good works, are we talking about like Jesus' good works? Or like American 20th century good works? Abhorring what is evil and clinging to what is good is a gift of grace. We're two commandments in. We need to know. We need to pray. We need to repent. We need to draw near to God. Stay near to God by His grace. Love one another with brotherly affection. That's what genuine love will look like. Brotherly affection. Now, hear that is the Bible. Because if you have a brother, I have a brother 14 years younger than me. I love him, but there's no affection there. Right? We're not like hugging and that's gross. You don't, we're not hugging and Right, but brotherly affection, family type affection, love with that in the body of Christ. Notice these things are visible; they're tangible. And look, I can't, I can't just tell you to do that. You need to be more loving. When you hear me say you need to be more loving, Christians need to be more loving. Do you know what your mind does? That's right. That person over there needs to love me more. They don't love me enough. They don't like me. 
right? We hear commands and we instantly deflect, right? They should be more forgiving of me, right? They should be more patient with me. They should be more this with me. They should be more that with me. Beloved, what is missing? Grace. No Christian should say, should hear a command and think, hey, oh, I do that perfectly. Or two, hear it and go, I, I can do that. No problem. This is God's law from heaven. The flesh can't do this. If we could do this, Jesus wouldn't have died. That's the same source of our gifts as well and of our faith as well. Outdo one another in showing honor. That God just gave us a contest in the church. See which one of you can show the most honor to somebody else. What a thing. What a thing. Who can be the best at honoring other people? All of you are welcome to try, he said. Just outdo each other in showing honor. When you see somebody show somebody honor, say, oh no, I, I, want, I want to show them more honor. But not out of like your recognition, but out of what? Genuine love. Genuine love. That's, listen, all, everything here is under that banner. That's so hard. Look, there, there are a lot of you in here that don't genuinely love me right now. Like, that's okay. I, I feel the same way. Right? I mean, it's, it's, right? I mean, we, let's be honest with each other. Some people are easy to love. Some people are not. I'm not. Like, full disclosure. I ought to have a shirt. Not easy to love. Glad my wife loves me. Glad my mom loves me. Right? I, I could wear that shirt and it would make perfect sense. Let love be genuine. That's what we're called to. Who can be the best at honoring other people? Church. So, in other words, church is no one's outlet for recognition, is it? No one's. But is the field to which God has given laborers that look away from themselves and towards others. That's specifically a gift of grace. A gift to the world from Christ Himself. That's specifically what this is to be. If we become a drag on each other, our light is out to the world. And unbelieving people feel that. Right? Church attendance is lower and lower and lower and lower almost everywhere. And if you really dig in and start to talk to people, a lot of times it's situational, it's, it's familial, vocational, it might be. But the running theme is like, I'm not going there. Those people fight all the time. I, they split when I was a kid. You Christians don't agree on anything, so why would I go and... It was designed to run better than that. But if everybody thinks too highly of themselves, it's not going to happen. When we talk about how we can't obey the law, we also need to remember the laws in the New Testament. Who can feel something on command? Genuinely love that person. Okay, done. We can't do that. If a church is built on the gospel of grace, none of this is an issue, except in the fact that we can't perfectly obey. If a church is built around people that think too highly of themselves, these verses are pure threat. We, we know that undermines self when we read. We know it. And most of us know when we're being self, selfish and self-centered, and we don't care because we are going to get our way. Do we understand what that does to the body of Christ? Completely undermines it. 
because it's a lack of belief in the gospel of grace. Right? Do not be slothful in zeal. That positively is said, be zealous all the time. Don't ever be uh, tired, worn out. Be zealous all the time. Filled with zeal all the time. All right, sign me up. Right? Be fervent in spirit. So feel fervency in your spirit all the time. Never a day off. Right? Never a, um, you know, today I just, I don't have it in me. I can't feel fervency for the things of God. No, feel. Be fervent in spirit. Always have your priorities right. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Okay, no problem. I can do all that. Right? Nobody's going to say that. We, we, we know we can't do these things. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. That's, those are commands to everybody now. Notice that. So the person that isn't particularly gifted at giving, as others are, cannot say, that's not my gift, so I don't have to do that. You see how we all make it easy for ourselves to dial out, but then in the one place we want to, just pile on all the demands? Right? It's, everybody's commanded to seek to show hospitality, to have an open home. To give to the needs of the saints. So you hear what? Okay, Lord, I uh, I don't have a lot of money. I don't have much at all, really. Uh, my apartment won't fit more than me in a bed, but I I will do this. No problem, I'll do it. Notice what Paul is doing here. Is this what this is what we're all commanded to do in the body of Christ as our spiritual worship to God by serving one another? How are we going to do all this? Who is up to this task? Honestly, then, who really has the time to obsess about their gift? Because 9 through 13 has nothing to do with how you might be particularly gifted. That's what the text is doing. Don't think now that you don't have to be kind because that's not your gift. This is all about the attitude of the church. Do we see what Paul is doing by way of the Holy Spirit? Pushing us again and again back to the grace in which we stand to accomplish everything, even the transformation happening to us after we've been justified. Paul is saying this to justified people, remember, for whom the gospel is the power of God for salvation. This isn't what you try really hard to do, and then God will accept you. That's not, this is what you realize a father is telling his beloved children that his son bought with his own blood. You've been given grace. If you hear this in light of grace, you are not killed by it. If you hear this as a person that thinks too highly of themselves, you really don't like this text and you know what it's saying to you. This isn't how we're justified. This is the way that if you had grace... You want to live. Even if you're very far from it. Even if you're not like that at all. You know deep down on the inside, this is what I want to be. This is what I desire to be. And God, I can't do it. Then That's where you stop. That's where you get honest with yourself. All right, stop. I'll stop trying to project that I'm like this. God, help me. Be merciful to me. He will always be merciful to you. He loves you. See, that's what you got to remember. Genuine love in the world, even in the church, 
is very hard to come by. There is one person, one, 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 you can count on 24-7, 365 days a year to love you no matter who you are, no matter what you say, no matter what you think, no matter what you do. And His name is Jesus. His love is genuine. All He's saying is love like me. Lord, how do I do that? Exactly. Grace, come to me. You'll all be humble. It'll be a beautiful thing. We want... We want to live this way because we've been justified. Service, not as a means of salvation, but as worship. For we belong to Him by grace. Run a test on yourself, right? You you know a person's service, whatever they do, is an attempt to get God's approval when they become demanding about being able to do it, to do what they want. And if the church doesn't provide them with their outlet, the church is taking their self-salvation project, their means of feeling justified and included and apart, they're taking it away from them. And you're going to hear about it. And the church is going to suffer for it. How dare you take from me what I have to have to be a part. You have the grace of God. You are a part. You just may not be able to do everything you want to do. Like, we tell that to kids. Why do we expect different as adults? Especially adults that are saved by grace. Sometimes we'll obey these things, other times we won't. Sometimes we'll have all the opportunity to serve and use our gifts, and other times we won't. Sometimes we'll feel love, and other times we won't. Sometimes we'll have a lot to give, and other times we won't. But we don't live by these things. We aren't justified by these things, by our gifts, by our service. We don't have life by these things. We've been justified freely as a gift of God's grace. So, Don't find your life and your identity in your gift or in what you do in your service. Don't. It will kill you. Find your life in Christ. Remain in His grace. He will use you for His glory and the good of others by gifting you with what you need when the time comes. May the Spirit of God teach us how to think and keep our minds fixed on the Gospel. Life in the church, even our lives in the world, can be fruitful and joyful when the members of the body don't think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. Let us stick to faithful ministry and or service in our own callings. When this is not the case, factions will rise up, bickering, complaining, backbiting that can rest over a church for centuries, decades. Devouring one another until we're consumed by one another. Galatians 5, 15. Instead, let our love be genuine. Let our hope be strong and joyful. Let us pray. Let us share our faith. Let these things be the mark of our congregation, of our lives. It says something when we don't get what we want and we're still happy. The world doesn't get what they want. Complaining, anger, bitterness, vengeance. This is not that. This is not that. This is a beacon in the world, an oasis in the world. It's not the world with a lot of rules. That's not what church is. It's recipients of grace. None of us should be here. None of us deserve anything we have. And yet here we are. An eternal life thrown in on top of all of it. If we are denied satisfaction for a half hour or for a week 
or for two years or ten years or twenty years? What is it against the backdrop of eternity? What is it? In this, the power of the gospel is at work now, creating the new worship of the new age of Christ in bodies that are living sacrifices. No one is up to these tasks. No one. We can't often think straight, let alone do all that God has commanded. But we need to know this about ourselves and about one another so that we can be merciful. The, the, the more we press into Christ through faith in the Gospel, we're going to be behaving like this, and this is going to be coming out of us because it's the fruit of the Spirit, not of the flesh. But we probably won't notice it like other people do. Why? Well, because God doesn't want us to forget grace and quit being humble. So most of our progression and advancement in the things of the faith, we, don't have, we aren't going to be aware of it like others are. Why? Because it's for them, not for me. For them. That's why we're getting better. For them, not for me. God doesn't need my good works, but my neighbor does. This place, the body, is meant to be an oasis of pure grace for you. Of Christ for you. Christ for you and me. We are each a means to that end for one another. So, where there is sinfulness in us, let us repent. Where there is falling short of God's glory in us, let us repent. Christ will receive you. He will forgive us. Rejoice even in your struggles to serve as Worship rather than self-fulfillment. God is always there for you. He is faithful. Christ is for you. Grace is yours. Be at peace.